0: familiar with geography and, and uh, travel times, we'll, we'll quickly calculate that's, that's almost a 24-hour trip. <laughs> 23 hours in the car. We weren't yet married. We're going to determine if we could put up, up with each other for the rest of our lives by locking ourselves together for 23 hours on a road trip. <laughs> so we got in the car and headed off excited. You know, some, sometimes it's easier to do when you're young and in love. You don't, you don't know everything about each other yet, and so there's lots to talk about. So we headed off across Minnesota, across the Dakotas, across uh, Wyoming, and, and, you know, partway through, we, we really started getting to know each other because that far into hours and hours and hours on end, you start to get uncomfortable. No matter how comfortable your car is, you, your, your body is not designed to remain in a sitting position for 23 hours. And so I'll, I'll never forget the, the visual image of, of Wendy's here in the seat beside me, and, and I'm driving, trying to stay awake, watching where I'm going, and all of a sudden I look over and she's no longer sitting like you normally would in the car. Instead, she's turned around, her head is against the seat, her feet are, are backwards, and, and uh, well, let's just say she's all upside down <laughs> as to where she'd normally be sitting. And I look over and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she, well... My back was hurting and my legs were hurting. So I changed positions. I'm getting comfortable. <laughs> you know, if, if you're ever wondering, for those of you who aren't yet married, if you're ever wondering if, if you're a good fit with the person you are going to end up with, or you're thinking about marrying them, right, lock yourself in a 6 foot by 5 foot by 4 foot box and just stay there for 23 hours. If you can handle that, <laughs> you know you can survive just about anything else, right? And yet we, we love this thing called road trips for some reason. There, there is something about being in a confined space together for long periods of time, right? You find out pretty quickly if you can get along or if you're going to constantly be at war with each other. And, and as we begin this, this series on, on vertical, looking to God, seeking vision for our conference, for our church, for, our, for ourselves individually... I believe that the first thing God would have us to seek is whether we can do this thing together, whether we can be at peace with one another, because it really doesn't matter where we're going, right? It doesn't matter what the final destination is. If we can't get along, if we can't be at peace with one another, it doesn't matter where you're going. It's going to be miserable getting there, and we're going to fail at the purpose that God has laid out for us. So today I want to want to focus in on some passages here. As, as we begin this series, Seeking God's Vision for our conference, I think we would all agree that the first part of that vision, no matter what unique aspect or unique things he has for us as a conference, as a church, as, as a family here, the first thing Jesus always prays for is unity or peace among the brothers and sisters of his family. So how does, that, how does that whole thing work? How does that all come about? How do we find God's vision and all get along together? Psalm 139 is where we're going to be starting here. Psalm 139, if you want to open your Bibles there. While you're turning there, though, I just, I just want to point out that throughout the history of mankind, we've, we've been fascinated, fascinated by this idea of capturing a vision or a purpose, right? You can trace back through many different different groups, people groups. Uh, the Native Americans, for one, who, who uh, you know, populated America here before we did, they, they had something they would often do among many of the tribes called a vision quest. It was, it was fairly common to fast for four days, and then you'd go out to a place in nature or, or a special site, and, and you would seek for a vision for your life. And oftentimes, they would seek for a, an, an animal or something they could associate themselves with that would give them a direction and, and help to understand where they were headed, where they were going, and, and how they should serve their local tribe. So that's one example. In many different cultures, it's it's done differently. But but we have this this thing that we're fascinated with. We want a vision, a purpose. We want meaning in our lives. Well, I I think as as we go through today, you will discover with me that meaning and purpose and peace with each other go hand in hand. Open your Bibles to Psalm 139. We're going to look at verse 23 here. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. I want to pause right there for a moment and reflect on this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. The title of the sermon today is Let It Begin With me. If you're following along week by week, our focus this whole week for our teachers, our students, for our church families as we pray through this together as a conference is let it begin with me. What's the rest of that phrase? What comes before let it begin with me? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Jesus says, peace I, I give unto you, not as the world gives, do I give, but, but I give you my peace. Now, this is, this is kind of interesting. Sometimes if, if you want to do this, go online and try to find out what is the world's form of peace. And, and I started going through this, all sorts of religious blogs, religious papers and things, And and most of them are just speculating. They just throw out something here or there, and and they can't really tie anything. Jesus doesn't define what is the world's peace. He just says, my peace is different. My peace is different than the world's peace. So as I was was sorting through this, I came across something by, by Billy Graham. And, and he wasn't really focusing on the world's peace, he was focusing more on God's peace and, and how we come to have internal peace in, within ourselves and then within our relationships. Because generally when we think of peace, we, we generally think of it in the context of relationships, right? Do you have peace in your family? Do you have peace in your neighbor, with your neighbors? Do you have peace in your church family, right? Do we have peace within our nation and our world? That's kind of, peace comes in the context of relationships, pretty important subject, especially if you don't have peace. And so so as as we begin exploring this, all of a sudden, as as I looked at Billy Graham's three major characteristics, the three major areas of peace, I, I noticed here in Psalms that the psalmist is radically different than Adam and Eve. David comes and says to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned, what did they do when God came around? They went and hid, right? They fled from God. There is something radically different between Adam and Eve hiding in fear from God and David now coming to the place where he says, God, search me search my heart, search my anxieties. I want you to know me inside. I want you to know everything about me. There is a radical difference in the human condition between Adam and Eve and David. Are we all in agreement there? (laughs) Something major has changed between these two moments, and this is where we find the picture of what is involved in God's peace. So we rewind back here to, to Genesis. And Adam and Eve, they had, they had sinned, and God comes walking in the garden. And Adam and Eve respond to God, and, and, and they say, we hid because we were what? We were afraid. Adam and Eve were no longer at peace with God. <laughs> Point number one, peace starts between God and us. Adam and Eve were not at peace with God. They were afraid of God. They viewed him as as someone to fear, someone to flee from, someone to hide themselves from, right? So point number one, we see peace starts between us and God. And then why did they say they were afraid? Why were they afraid of, of God walking there in the garden? Because we were naked, right? They looked at themselves and there's, there's no peace with themselves now. There's, there's this anxiety about, uh, there's flaws with myself, right? In, in this case, they realized they were naked, and now they were ashamed. So, so now there is no longer peace with, within themselves, internal peace. And then, of course, all of this works out, and God says, well, what happened? And what do they start doing? Where does the conflict move now? It moves to each other, right? Outward. It starts with fear of God, that broken peace with God. Then it moves internally to an internal conflict, an internal lack of peace. And then that ultimately works itself out in conflict in their relationships with everyone around them. So when we come back to Jesus saying, I give you a different kind of peace than the world gives, all of a sudden it, it becomes kind of clear how this whole thing works. The world tries to work out peace in our relationships. Right? What's, what's the number one thing everyone wishes for in, in uh, the Miss Universe Miss America pageants right, all through the years? Whenever you go there, first thing they want to wish for is world peace, right? That's just the standard answer everybody has to give. As um, you look, what is the purpose of the United Nations? <laughs> to bring about world peace. How well are we doing? <laughs> Not very well, right? <laughs> In fact, as, as we look at, well, the, let's, let's bring it a little closer to home. It's, it's easy to look at politicians and say, yeah, they're not doing a good job. But, but how many of, of us wrestle with peace in our churches? How many churches in the land truly have peace? Or how many are fighting <laughs> with discord and disagreements and arguments over whatever we choose to argue over? And then we bring it one step closer to home. How many times is there conflict in our personal relationships with the people that are closest to us, and we can't get along there. And if we're honest with ourselves and we look one step deeper, there's a brokenness inside of us. There's, there's an internal conflict inside each one of us where we aren't truly at peace even with ourselves. And so the, the world can't address all of those. They, 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 they start with the external, the relationships between other people with each other, and, and sometimes the, the, then they'll jump in and try to help people learn how to get internal peace. But there is one component that the world can never give, and that is the most important element, and that is peace with God. As long as we are in the place Adam and Eve were at, there will never be peace among us because we have a broken relationship with God. We have a broken view of God, of who he is, of his character, of what he's all about. Adam and Eve were sinners, yes? (laughs) They had thrown in on the side of the war with the devil, yes? (laughs) Did they have anything to fear from God when he came into the garden? No, and yet it seemed pretty obvious to them that they should be afraid of this God who was coming to the garden because now they were adversaries. They were at war. They were on the wrong side. They were sinners. They They had mistrusted and disobeyed God, and yet God comes to them in the garden not as an enemy but as a friend. David somehow, someway, has left the view of God as an enemy, of God as a threat, of God as someone that that is antagonistic towards us. And he has come to the place where he recognizes that he, in his sinful state, broken as he is, can throw himself open before God and say, God, look at me. Search me. Search every corner of my being. And let me know where I need to be reshaped with complete confidence, without any fear at all of this God he's talking to. Complete transparency without any fear of God. And if you remember the story of David, David had some things to be afraid about, right? <laughs> Dave, David was not the perfect hero that we would like to, to think would be aligned closely with God. right? David is chief of sinners, as Paul would say. And yet he can come before God in his sinful, broken state and say, God, search me in complete confidence. I I just find that amazing. David has complete peace with God. He has come to the place in his existence, in his life, where he has recognized that God is not his enemy. God is is not someone out to get him. But that even in his sin, even in his brokenness, that God is someone he can trust fully and completely. And that's where peace starts. That's where peace starts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's a radical realignment of how we see God. And that's why Jesus over and over says, I have come that they may know peace, right? I have come, I am, I am your peace. All the way through the New Testament, over and over and over, Jesus comes to, to give us peace. Now, David goes on here. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. So he starts out, search my heart and, and know my anxiety. So, so help me with the things that I, I stress about, I wrestle with. And then he goes on, verse 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's, there's two, two words here. Same, same word, but, but juxtaposed against each other in this, or, or paralleled, to use a better word, paralleled with each other. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Did you pick up the word that ties these two together? Way. See if there is any wicked way within me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is kind of cool. When you go back into the Hebrew, the way, the, the way is, is a road or a pathway, Right? And, and then all of a sudden you put it together with modern science and our brains work with neuro pathways, neuro roadways, right? And, and the more you repeat an action, the more you do something, the, the broader, the thicker that pathway in your mind gets. And so the easier it becomes natural. You just go down that road. You get to this turn and you turn. Have you ever been driving in the car? You're not really paying attention to where you're going. And all, all of a sudden, like five minutes later, you, you realize, I really didn't remember the last five minutes of driving. <laughs> Anybody been there? <laughs> All right, quite a few of you have, right? Our, our brains have, have wired a pathway in them because we've gone there so much and we've driven that so much that, that we can just go without thinking or without being aware of, of where we're going, right? And, and so, so, so the Bible brings up these, these two contrasting ways, this, this way within us. He says, God, I want you to see if there is any wickedness within me. Now, if you're p- at peace with God, if, if you know you're at peace with God, that enables you to open up to God and say, hey, God, search for my faults. Because you know when God finds your faults, when he sees your faults, he's not out to get you. He's not out to find a way to punish you for what you did wrong. He's, uh, he's, he's looking for a way to help you out, right? Uh, yesterday, I was, I was he- headed over to uh, Green, Green, the orchards. <laughs> green Bluff, thank you. I headed over to Green Bluff to, to get peaches. And, and the orchard we had ordered the peaches from closed at 2. And so, so I had to make sure and be there by 2 and then headed over to pick Kaylee Ann up. So, so I was headed down, down the road in the car. And coming into Rathroom, there's the intersection of 41 and Diagonal. And as I, as I came around there, I was coming into, into town, coming around that corner. And all of a sudden, a white Jeep swerves from his lane going the other direction and comes straight at me. And, and I've driven this road, you know, a hundred times, taken that corner a hundred times and, and never had any issues except for the one time a Harley went cruising off and down in the ditch behind me and, and, and alongside the road. But he didn't hit me. So I'm, I'm driving along this path I have so many times and all of a sudden this white G V Z lifted and, and raised up comes flying across the road straight at me and I swerve and I hear this loud bang. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm down here in the ditch off where the Harley went. Down, down there's a, a little road that... Harley was a couple of years ago when we first got here, but but I'm down here in this ditch. There's this little path that goes along that they ride ATVs and stuff on, and, and I'm sitting down there, and and I get out of the car, and the mirrors just smashed, and the back quarter panel quarter panel of the car is is smashed, and, and I'm thinking, okay, well, no whiplash, you know, no 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 hard jolt, but man, if only I drove in our old vehicle and we could have got it totaled, and not worried about it, right? Instead, <laughs> so I'm driving my wife's nice car. And so, so I get out, and I'm, I'm looking at that, and, and all of a sudden, I've been working on this sermon thinking, you know, what, how, do, how do I illustrate this idea of how God works with us with these paths? You know, he's, he's not out to get you for your sin. He's not out to get you for your wickedness, but, but, but he is there to, to help you. And all of a sudden, it clicked. I've driven this road 100 times, and yet there is something dangerous in this road that I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't aware of, I wasn't really really focused on. David is coming to God and saying, God... You know the faults. You know the danger spots in my character. You know the danger things that are, are wired within me. God, search me and, and help alter those and change those so that I don't get in a wreck. So that I don't, I don't get, you know, go of off the road and I don't collide with, with someone else, even though it was his fault, not mine, right? Uh, so, so, so David is coming to God and saying, God, this is a relationship I have with you. I know there are pathways in my life. I know there are things that I, I tend to do. I don't have to be scared of you about it, but, but I want you to step in and I want you to alter and search those out and change them so that I'm not delayed, so that I'm not in a wreck, so I don't have to worry about all this, this, this stuff that comes along with this because you designed me, God. You know how I function, how I work. You, you designed me for a purpose and a plan that, that I'm seeking to follow. I'm seeking to, to live in, in that relationship with you. So search out these paths that will get me in accidents. Search out these paths that could cause harm and help to correct them. It, it's a different view of, of looking at our failures and our faults and, and in, in alignment with God. It's no longer a picture of fear like, God, help me correct these so that I don't end up in hell, right? It's a totally different picture. It's, hey, God, we're in this relationship. Help me, ch- help, help me change. Help alter these dangerous paths within me. So that I don't cause harm to others or end up harming myself. God, step in and intervene and lead me in the way, the path, the road everlasting. See, David has this idea of, of a life with God as a journey, as a road trip. He has pictured, if, if you will, locking yourself up with God for 23 hours in a six by four by six box, whatever it is, right? And say, hey, God, let's, let's do this thing together. Let's lock ourselves in together. Let's, let's do this journey through eternity together. Because I know that's, that's your purpose and your plan for my life. We saw this last week as, as we were discussing how to, how to find God's will and way, how to, how to seek his will and way. And, and that is first and foremost uh, above everything else. God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to be in relationship with you. And so so the goal of prayer, the goal of uh, finding your purpose, all of it will center in that relationship with God. And David has got that. So he doesn't have to be afraid of his faults and his flaws and his failures. He walks in this this way with God. Over in the the book of Luke, we find another passage. Luke, Luke, uh, let me get it here. John the Baptist is, is uh, the one we're, we're referring to in this story. Luke chapter 1, verses 76. Luke chapter 1, verses 76. Luke chapter 1, verse 76, and it says, "'And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, "'for you will go before the face of the Lord "'to prepare his ways.'" To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. See, the way the path that the the Baptist is to lay out is to help people understand that God isn't coming to get them for their sins. God is coming to remove their sins. God is coming to make a a path of peace for them. You, child, will be called the prophet of of the Most High. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace starts here with your relationship with God. Once you realize that you are at peace with God, that God has come and initiated on His own, that that He is not at war with you, that He is at peace with you, there's there's an alliance that has been made, right? There's a truce that has happened, and, and God. God actually in the beginning comes to Adam and even and said, You know, I never was at war with you. You declared war on me, but I never went to war with you. I came that you might have peace, Jesus says. When we get that understanding, then, then the root cause, the root cause of the difficulties in our life, is straightened out. Now, if, if understanding that we are at peace with God, is the key to this this whole thing. What do you think the devil's gonna do regarding this subject? He is going to step in and he's gonna try to convince you every which way that you are not at peace with God. That God, for whatever fault or flaw you have within you, is somehow now antagonistic or against you. He is going to do everything he can to get your mind rewired back around so that you don't believe truly that God is at peace with you, that God truly is on your side, and he will always be on your side. The devil's goal is to convince you that somehow God is against you. Yeah, he he died for me, but, you know, I I messed that up. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm sure it works for others, but you don't know me, (laughs) right? It, It works for others, but you don't know... What's going on in my head? And the devil just just seeks to, to create a wedge, to create a sense of doubt between us and God. But from John the Baptist through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, all the way through the New Testament, God over and over and over says, we're at peace. We are at peace. And you must understand that. You must have that first and foremost in your mind before anything else will come around and work out right. To guide our feet into the way of peace. As we seek God's vision for us, the first thing we see is that it will be a path or a way of peace. Now, does that mean everything's going to be peaceful in our lives? <laughs> no. Jesus says in the world you will have tribulation, troubles, trials, right? You're going to have conflict in this world because not everyone realizes that they are peace with God. And when people are in a broken state, when they think that that God is at war with them, that creates an internal state of war within themselves, of conflict within themselves. And when we're unhealthy internally, that will work itself out in our relationship. So as long as there are people who don't have a view of God as being a God who is for them instead of a God who is against them, we will have conflict on this earth. But it kind of helps to know when you come up against difficult people that it's likely because... They have a broken view of who God is. When, when you feel that internal temperature start to rise <laughs> and you start to get frustrated with that person that's entering into conflict, try to step back a second and realize the root cause of the difficult nature of the individual you're working with. It's really because they don't understand. They don't have as, as part of, of their internal makeup that, that God loves Them, And all of a sudden, it changes the picture a little bit, and now instead of entering into a war and stepping away from our internal peace with them, we can can enter into the engagement, into the, the relationship with them from the viewpoint of, hey, I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with myself because God has granted me that peace, and now how can I help this person? How can I help this person to take a step closer to seeing That God isn't against them, that they don't have to be against the world, that they don't have to be against everyone around them, that they don't have to, to enter into this constant conflict and controversy in order to preserve themselves because they've got a God who already does that for them. It changes the way we look at people. Now, we're not perfect in this, right? I wish I could tell you that every conflict, every difficult person I deal with, I, I view them as, as someone who needs to have their, their picture of God realigned. It <laughs> doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> Sometimes I take my focus off of God and focus on the difficult person, and all of a sudden, the brokenness within me meets the brokenness within them, and we're in unhealthy conflict, right? Are you with me? You ever been there? No, you guys, you guys have got it all figured out. But when we feel that internal temperature start to rise and you feel that boiling point start to come, try to step back and say, okay, (laughs) peace. God wants me on a path of peace. Now, let's come back to the beginning. God has already declared he's at peace with me. (laughs) Let my internal pressure gauge lower a little bit, calm down a little bit, and let's approach this thing from the standpoint of how can we have peace with those around us? How can we help them to address that core issue in their life, that, that God really isn't out to get them, that God isn't out to hurt or harm them? Jesus says in, in John 14, these things, John 14, verse 25, these things I have spoken to you that while being, present, while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For a moment, just stop and think about your your personal relationships. Those closest to you, and, and picture those moments of conflict. We all have them. It's part of the human experience. And then imagine what Christ can do in those moments of conflict, when we recognize that we each need grace, when the temperature starts to rise in our most personal conflicts and Christ comes and he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. That's got to change something, right? There's there's a path that God has for us, and it's not one of, of continual strife and turmoil. The vision God has for us is peace, and he promises that the Holy Spirit will bring that peace into our lives. He says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I am going away, but I'm coming back. In the meantime, here's what I leave you. Peace. It's challenging to live in a world that is filled with strife and be at peace. It's a constant journey. It's a day-by-day road trip with God that is required to, to allow us to live out this path of peace in our Christian experience. As, as we look at this, it's important to understand this as well. It's not something that can be imposed from the outside. Right, as, as you look at the world, you find different ways of trying to bring peace about. In in communist countries, they try to impose it from the top down, right? It's, it's a communist or, or uh, you know, in, in ancient, when, when we used to have kings and queens, it was a top-down hierarchy, right? The top, top person says this is the way it is, everybody else falls in line, and there's going to be peace. How well does that, does that work out? But if you stop and think about it, it doesn't work out well, right? But, but take it to the next level. So, so we live in a society that's based on freedom. Now, now, freedom is a step closer to the way God does things, so it's a step in the right direction, but, but how much peace do we really see in America? <laughs> is, is freedom, is democracy the answer to peace? I don't really think so, <laughs> right? Uh, do we see peace in our nation? Do we see peace in our politics? Do we see peaceful disagreement among ourselves? I, I don't really see it, so, so democracy may not be the answer to peace. It's not what gets us there. And, and the reason for that is, is this, is you look at the way God deals with things, he doesn't generally start with a large group and resolve things at the large group level. When Jesus comes down to bring his kingdom of peace on earth, how many does he start with? Mary and Joseph, right, starts with Two. And then he expands it out a little bit, and there's shepherds who come on the scene, but then they disappear off the scene. Jesus now comes and starts his ministry. How many does he start with? Twelve. And one of those he didn't even choose, right? One of those the group pulled on in. Jesus always starts small. Jesus always starts small. In fact, he always starts with the individual. Peace does not come about by a group action. Peace does not come about by a a group coming up with the right way of doing things or the right way of thinking. Peace comes about by a personal individual relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes about by a personal realignment of who God is to me. And then as I get realigned, I begin living at peace. And then as you get realigned, you begin living at peace. And it grows and it multiplies as each individual comes and and individually aligns themselves with the God who loves them, the God who is at peace with them. And as as that grows and grows and grows, all of a sudden, things begin to change. Even the song, let let it begin with me, let there be peace on earth and, and let it begin with me. You guys know the story behind that? It's a powerful story. I mean it's a, a popular song that's almost everywhere now. But the, the story actually begins with a, a lady whose name was Jill Jackson. She she was not at peace. She was in she had incredible internal conflict to the place where she tried to commit suicide. The, the attempted suicide failed. And she was doing an interview on, on NPR and she shared when, when that suicide failed something changed within me. I realized that there was was someone out there who truly cared about me. I realized that that, that God must have a purpose for my life, that he must love me, that, that there must be something more. And in that moment, my life changed. And so she wrote down the words to this song, let there be peace on earth, but let it begin with me. And then she shared that with when she got married. She shared it with her husband, Sai, and and he then put music to it. And they were out in the the hills of California at a youth conference. They had 180 youth out there with them, and they introduced this song to them. And these youth were were from a bunch of different denominations, a bunch of of different nationalities. And there, as they they learned this song, all of a sudden, a movement among the youth came and said, hey, let's let's all get in a big circle up here on the mountain. Let's lock arms. This is 50s, 60s, and 70s, so kind of a common thing to do in, in that time frame. Let's all lock arms, and let's sing this song together, Right? And so they all got in a big circle, and and they locked arms, and they sang this song, Let There Be Peace on Earth, and let it begin with me. But they didn't let it stop there. Each youth, each young person who was there on that mountaintop went down, and they took that song back to their families and their churches. And they began singing it there in their churches. And then it began to spread from from their families and their churches, and pretty soon it swept the nation. 4-H clubs Veteran Day celebrations, 4th of July celebrations, it began sweeping through the nation until it it swept all the way around the world. And this song is, is now common in not only sacred places, but secular places, sung around the world. But it started, it started with one broken individual who at the depth of brokenness realized that there is a God out there who loves me. There is a God out there who is searching after me. There is a God out there who is at Peace with me. As we begin this journey of 40 days of prayer, as we continue this journey, we started a few days ago, as we continue this journey together, let's start here, that there is a God who individually wants to come in and engage with me. No matter how broken I am, no matter how lost I am, no matter how difficult I am, this God has declared he is at peace with me. He is at peace with me, and therefore, I can be okay with myself and be at peace with you. As we sing this, or as we listen to this this closing song that they're going to share with us, I want you to just focus on that picture, that picture of a God who loves you. No matter where you've been, no matter where you're at, this God who declares, I am your peace, and let's begin this 40-day journey together with that knowledge and that relationship.
1: How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told Him your heart's hidden secret. your mind
0: Heads. And now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and with all peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.